We're going to continue going through uh, the book of Acts today. Um, so if you haven't been here, you haven't um, heard any, any of these messages, we're sequentially going through uh, the book of Acts, uh, meaning in order. Um, and we're not hitting every single story, but we're hitting a lot of it. Uh, and so if you haven't, uh, if you haven't been caught up uh, to now, it's okay because each one of these messages are, are really kind of messages in and of themselves. And so um, you can jump right in here and not feel like you've, you've missed anything. And that's for those of you that are watching online and for those of us here. So um, a little bit of the backstory for that. Um, it, it really goes to this idea of going back to normal. Because a lot of what the early church wanted to do in the book of Acts was they wanted to get into what their version of normal was. And we know that following Jesus is uh, never normal, that there's nothing normal about following Jesus. And we see that through the book of Acts, and we see that through the stories of the church uh, as it's being developed. And so we know that the thesis statement for the book of Acts uh, really comes from Acts 1.8, uh, where Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And up to this point in the story, we've seen the church come together and be formed. We've seen the Holy Spirit show up on the day of Pentecost. And, uh, and we've seen the apostles begin to move forward in being witnesses for Jesus in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria-ish. They've been spreading out a little bit, uh, but they haven't really moved forward the way that, uh, you know, with, with the entire portion of it. And, and if you remember, I mentioned um, that the book of Acts is really kind of in three sections in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Um, and, and that those sections really kind of go sequentially throughout the book. And so we're starting to move into the, the last section there. Um, and we see the Holy Spirit involved every step of the way. And hopefully in your life, you see the Holy Spirit involved every step of the way because things don't feel normal right now. And, you know, spoiler alert, things are never really going to feel normal as a follower of Jesus. And when, as we see the Holy Spirit involved here, over 50 times in the book of Acts, we see the Holy Spirit mentioned and him moving, which is why I've been saying that I really like to call the book of Acts that it's the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. And you'll see that again um, today. We know that we have met a guy named Saul, and we saw uh, that story a couple of weeks ago on the road to Damascus where this was a guy who was the worst. He was the guy that was helping to hunt down and kill followers of the way, which are Christians, and uh, at least at this time. And we're going to see where that name kind of flips here a little bit today. But um, this guy was the worst, and he has this amazing experience on the road to Damascus where the light of Jesus shines down, and he meets Jesus, and, uh, and he's blind for a few days. And this man named Ananias uh, meets him and, and God speaks to him and through the power of the Holy Spirit, Saul gets his sight back but really sees Jesus and sees uh, the wrong in, in his ways because everything that he thought was normal about following God ended up being completely flipped on its head as a Pharisee and he realizes that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the one that they've been waiting for. Um, and he begins then from that moment on instantly begins to preach about Jesus um, but we kind of left him there, and we went last week to a story about Peter, um, which is an incredible story, and so we're going to pick up the story of Saul here because we haven't seen him in about a chapter and a half-ish, um, and so we know that he was radically changed, as I said, and so when he's left there, he is brought from Tarsus to Antioch, and so he's brought to Antioch by another man called Barnabas, um, and they studied and preached together for about a year. 
And so they're here at Antioch studying uh, together and, and growing and learning, and, and things are going great at this church in, in Antioch. Um, and this church is where the term Christians was coined. So during this year that uh, Saul and Barnabas were here kind of training and preaching and all of that stuff, that's where the term Christians, uh, follower of Christ, that's really all Christian means, um, was that, that's where that term was coined. And so the, the church is growing and, 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 and doing good, but I think there was probably a little bit of um, them uh, getting to normal or feeling a little bit comfortable and where they were. Because as you'll see here in just a second, the Holy Spirit really kind of comes and pushes them out of the nest and, and pushes them out of the comfort zone a little bit um, because it was time for them to take the next step. And for some of us, it may be time for us to take the next step. Uh, and we're going to get to that a little bit. Um, that's going to be a little bit of a running theme throughout today as, as we go through this. Um, God needed to take the church to a whole new level of abnormal. <laughs> and, and we're going to see that here because there was an aspect of ministry that was yet to be addressed. There was a piece missing that was yet to be addressed. And it's something that is now considered normal for churches, or at least it should be. And you're going to see that here as we start. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 13 and 14 today. We're going to spend most of the time in chapter 14. But if you do have your Bibles or the Bible app, uh, you can follow along on there. Uh, or if you have your physical Bible in front of you, just flip to Acts 13 with me for just a minute. Um, and I want to start here in verse 2. Here's what it says. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, and this is the church in Antioch, that they're, that they're there, worshiping, praying, and fasting, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Now this is, this is a big deal. This is important here because what we're seeing here is really the first recorded at least, um, that we know of real missionary effort by the church. This is that aspect that was missing. This is that aspect that they hadn't got to yet. We believe that the church is missions. We talked about that a few weeks ago, and that this is something that we should be actively involved in, and we are. We support 19 missionaries, and, and I'm, I'm proud of that and excited about that uh, as we continue moving forward there. But um, you know, these guys were commissioned and sent out by the church in Antioch. The Holy Spirit called, and the church sent them out. And it's an important thing because it was intentional, it was organized, um, and it was something that they took seriously because they needed to reach out to the rest of the world, right? To the ends of the earth, as it said there. And this is the beginning of that. They prayed and fasted. They took this seriously. This wasn't just a thing that they said, oh, well, that's cool. Let's just, uh, let's just go ahead and send a few people out. Here's the thing. They sent their best and brightest. They took their best and brightest and sent them out. They, they really did. And that's, and that's an important principle that should be followed, that, that we should look at. And I'm, I'm thankful that I come from a, a church heritage of that. That, uh, you know, uh, some of us do that have been part of this church family for years and years and years that, that we're part of that, that when someone is trained up and the spirit calls that we send them out. And I want to be a part of that as we move forward as well. Um, and, you know, when we do that, it opens up possibilities for others. It's an interesting way that, that God works that out because as people move on, it opens up, uh, you know, holes that need to be filled by those of us that maybe have yet to step up because there wasn't an opportunity. And so God does that kind of rotating uh, 
team, if you will. And it's, and it's really cool because we're all part of the body of Christ and all of us have a part in that. And sometimes part of that is being sent out to go and to reach people on behalf of ascending church. And so that's an important thing. But it brings up the subject of change because these guys were comfortable, the church was doing good, and then God basically says, I want you to take your best and send them out. The ones that have been really helping make this happen, I want you to send them out. And that was a big change that they had to get used to and that they had to figure out. But we don't really like change, do we? We're really not people who like change. You could say that you do, but inevitably we all look for normal and we all look for, for comfort. But we see, here, we see here again that God is in the business of breaking the cycle of normal and you can't get comfortable because God doesn't work in comfortable. I'd be willing to bet if you were to think through times in your life where God has moved you and, and done some amazing things in your life that they were not in seasons of comfort, that they were probably in seasons of you know, awkward and, and various other, you know, adjectives that you could use there. But it wasn't through times of comfort because we want things to be normal. And if you define normal as, as we have before, it's talking about a standard or a usual, a typical or expected. But life as a follower of Jesus is the complete opposite of those things. And when we follow God and we follow his will and we follow his lead, there are a few things that we need to understand that come with that. And so when God calls and, and we follow him where he's calling us, what can we expect? What are the kinds of things that we can expect? Well, we know we can expect the unexpected because that's really one of the big lessons that we can learn from this. But holistically, there are a few things that we can look at that we can almost count on, if you will. Um, it's not gonna be all rainbows and sunshine. We want it to be, but it's not. Uh, in fact, it's, it's a lot of the opposite. In fact, there are really two big things that you can count on when you follow where God wants you to go. That would be opposition and intervention. Opposition and intervention. And throughout the rest of Acts 13, and even Acts up to 1 through 13, we've seen this. We've seen this theme over and over again, but we continue to see this happen through the rest of the chapter. We see opposition, and we see the intervention of the Holy Spirit. Barnabas and Saul, from here, they were sent out. They traveled to three different places. And this is where we start to see his name change from Saul to Paul. Now, Saul is his Hebrew name. Paul would be his Roman name. If you remember, I mentioned that, uh, that Paul is a Roman citizen, and that he uses that as, to his advantage to, uh, to reach people for the gospel. And it's funny because in Romans 13 is where that name change happens. And it's in one verse. It just says from then on, he was known as Paul. And it's like, that was it. You know, it, there's really not a whole lot of explanation, no fanfare. It's just like, oh, okay. And so from here on out, he's Paul. Um, and, and, it, and it really is. But he used that name, him being having Jewish background and Jewish training, and then using his Roman citizenship and his name to get into more places and to be able to reach people uh, for the gospel of Jesus. And the interesting thing is as these guys are going through all these regions, they're going through these three regions, they see people come to Christ, they see people get saved, they plant churches, churches are planted, but there is also opposition from the Jewish uh, leaders and they get Barnabas and Paul actually expelled from the region that they're in. They plant some churches and, and all of that stuff and great things happen, but they also get them expelled from the region that they're in. And you know, these two things, 
That hasn't changed. This hasn't changed from then to now. We still can expect opposition and we can expect intervention because wherever the gospel goes, we see both of these things. We see both of these things wherever the gospel goes. It's a pattern throughout history and it's a pattern throughout the book of Acts. Opposition to the will of God, intervention of the Holy Spirit. And we need to keep our eyes open for both. We need to keep our eyes for both of those things because why would we think it would be any different for us? It's not gonna be any different from us. The enemy is not happy when we are following what God wants us to do. And I think we forget that. My dad used to say this all the time. He would say something along these lines, that Satan will leave you alone if, you know, if you're not a problem for him. <laughs> and I think sometimes we need to remember that. You know, that's why it talks about in the book of James, count it all joy uh, when you suffer for persecution. And why is that? Because you've got the enemy mad. You've got the enemy mad, and, and it's okay to get him mad, and, and because in a lot of ways, it's almost like, yeah, we're really following what God wants us to do. Um, if, if the enemy is, is persecuting you and, you and you're sensing opposition, that's a little bit of a confirmation that God, that you're following the will of God. Now, maybe not every single time, but it is something to keep in mind there. See, he doesn't want us, the enemy doesn't want us to repent and to turn from our sin to God as the Bible calls us to do. And so we need to follow exactly what, what God wants us to do and let that, as we used to say in the youth department, punch Satan in the face and let him just deal with it, right? Satan doesn't attack you the way that you think and he doesn't attack you if you're not in the way. But it's always from the inside out. He always attacks us from the inside out. When you're following the will of God and you're going where he leads, there will be opposition, but there will also be faith. And there will also be the intervention of the Holy Spirit. And you're going to see that. If you do have your Bibles, flip to chapter 14. And we're going to start in chapter 14 right at the very beginning. This is where we're going to spend most of the rest of our time here. And you're going to see some amazing things that God does uh, through Paul and Barnabas. And so here's what it says. Beginning in verse 1, at Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went, as usual, into the Jewish synagogue. Now, this is important, real quick. Every time that they travel to different places, you see this pattern. They start at the Jewish synagogue and then work their way out from there. So you see a tactic of Paul starting with God's people and then working his way out from there. And that starts to change a little bit as, as his story goes and, and as we see his uh, methods change. Um, over, over time throughout the rest of the chapters. It says, There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed, but the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. This is an interesting thing that we're going to get back to here in just a second, the fact that they spent considerable time there. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among uh, both Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat, and, to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and they fled to Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the gospel. So um, people love being told that they're wrong, don't they? Don't people love it? Especially my kids, too. They love being told that they're wrong. 
Um, and if you think I'm serious, then you've never had kids. Um, because I'm not serious at all. Um, we don't like being told that we're wrong. Nobody likes being told that they're wrong. And people especially don't like being told the truth when they're living in deception and when they're living in sin. Nobody likes that. Nobody likes the rub of that. But here's one of the lessons we can learn from how Paul and Barnabas handled this, is that resistance requires persistence. Resistance requires persistence. It says in verse three, if you, if you look at verse three, it says that, um, that Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, and this is after uh, some people refused to believe, um, that there was resistance there. So instead, they dug in their heels, and they tried a few different things, and they, and they stuck it out, and they kept going. They, they didn't just walk away. You know what they say, right? When the going gets tough, quit. No, we don't say that. And as followers of Jesus, we don't say that. And as believers, we, you know, we definitely don't say that. We pray, we love people, we, we forgive, we try a different method. I love how Craig Rochelle says, anything short of sin to win people to the gospel. I love that. Um, but we don't give up, and we don't give up on people. As believers, as followers of Jesus, we don't give up on people. We, we don't need to be known as people who give up on others because Jesus never gave up on me, Jesus never gave up on you, and he never will. Jesus never gives up on us. We resist, we get mad. We get mad when God tells us what we don't wanna hear because it messes up our normal. None of us like that. We're good at telling other people that it's gonna mess up their normal, but when it's us, we don't like it, do we? We're really good at giving advice to other people, but we don't like hearing it ourselves. Um, we can get mad and we can throw a fit. We can cause division. We can be peacemakers. We can be persistent. We can stick with it. We can use the Holy Spirit. We can allow the Holy Spirit to, to continue to do and push us to what God wants us to do for the sake of the gospel. Because you know, this is a world that is decaying and dying and people are going to hell. And sometimes, if, if I'm just being honest, sometimes it feels like the church as a whole, holistically, sometimes it feels like it's, we're just okay with that. I feel like sometimes we feel like we're just okay with that. You know what one of the most dangerous adjectives to describe a Christian would be? One of the most dangerous, it's not, I don't know if it's the most, but for me, I, I would think it's one of the most, and it's this word right here, apathetic. Apathetic is one of the most dangerous words to describe a Christian. Apathetic means a lack of interest, enthusiasm, or concern. Someone who doesn't care. Someone who's just like, nah, whatever. It's whatevs. That's a problem. That's a big problem. And that can be dangerous. Because we like to sink into normal, don't we? We, we like to find the normal because our normal is typical and, and expected. No friction. We don't like friction. We don't like the rub. We try to figure out a way to eliminate friction. A lot of us don't enjoy conflict. I don't know anybody that really enjoys conflict, but, but we, we like to avoid conflict. We don't confront conflict very often. Yet we forget that conflict in many ways, resolving conflict, can actually be an incredible path to God doing amazing things. But instead, we try to find comfort and we try to avoid conflict and it turns us into this. It turns us apathetic. 
We cannot allow this word to describe us. I would challenge you individually to see if when you think through your walk as a believer, does this word describe you? Does apathetic describe you? We have to be persistent. We have to be persistent. But, but you need to know something. You need to know something. That if you speak the truth in love, you will become a target. You will become a target. That's one of the things we can not only learn from the book of Acts, but we can learn from the experience of many, many others. And even probably through the experience of your life in some way, shape, or form. Because if you seek to engage our culture, as we should, you'll become a target. See, they wanted to kill Paul and Barnabas. They wanted to stone them in this particular moment. For what? For speaking the truth in love. Rather than considering their message, they'd rather live in sin and die in that than, than to make any change because they're trying to avoid the friction. But Paul kept preaching. Paul kept preaching. He stayed persistent. He changed his methods a little bit. And we see that here because he did something amazing. The Holy Spirit did something amazing here as we move on to the next verse in verse 8. It says, In Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. He'd been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. And Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. So we see an awesome thing happened here. The Holy Spirit heals this man in a demonstration of his faith, and it's amazing. But if you read on a little bit, we see that the enemy tries to use this. The next few verses, we see the enemy trying to use this amazing miracle of God and what the Holy Spirit does, because the people immediately freaked out. And there are some cultural reasons as to why they did um, in, in, some, in some regards. But they freak out and they try to worship Paul and Barnabas as gods. And Paul and Barnabas wanted nothing to do with that. And Paul, but Paul had a choice to make here. Because as I said, he's using the name Paul so that he can kind of have a little bit of an in with people. Um, culturally. So he had a choice to make here. He could have taken this situation and used it to his advantage. The marketing brain in me goes, hmm, wonder if you could use that, right? But he didn't. He could have taken that and he could have said, you know what, it's okay, we'll get to that. Let's just put that aside. We'll get to that eventually. But he didn't. This was a non-negotiable issue. This was a non-negotiable issue because it was about the glory of God. And if we are apathetic then do we really have any non-negotiable issues? Are we apathetic when we blatantly and plainly see or hear someone give credit to anyone but God? Look at, look at what happened here. Skip down to verse 14. It says, but when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We're bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Now, I'm not saying we should like tear our clothes and all that stuff. There are some cultural things about why, why they did that. 
But here's the deal. They handled it right then and there. They handled it and addressed it right then and there. So let me ask you this. Are we desensitized to the things that are offensive to God and are offensive to followers of him? And if you are, then I wonder about your walk with the Lord, quite frankly. Because if it's offensive to God, it should be offensive to you. And I know that's, that's a hard thing to say, but how often do we just let stuff go? I'm going to bring a little friction right now, so be ready for it. Because how often do we let stuff go and we let things go unchecked? Maybe it's what we watch on Netflix, it's what we listen to, it's what we say and what we tolerate hearing other people say, and even what we tolerate coming out of our own mouths. And I'm speaking to myself just as much as anybody else, but it is a sign of apathy in your walk with God, and there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And I, I, I get it. You know, you might be thinking, well, Jay, it's not my place, you know, and all of that. You know what? Sometimes it is. <laughs> sometimes it is our place. And granted, there's a right and a wrong way to do that, but sometimes, quite frankly, we need to take a stand. There's enough wishy-washy going on in this world today. And there's enough people taking a stand for the wrong things. Sometimes we do need to take a stand. And like I said, there's a right way and a wrong way to do that. And it can be circumstantial. And, and I'm not suggesting a legalistic approach here because if you think that, then you don't know me very well because that's not at all what I'm saying. Because we don't want to turn somebody off to the gospel. Absolutely, there's a right and a wrong way to do that. But we need to be wise and discerning about it. But at the same time, we need to stand for what is clear in the word of God. We need to stand for what is clear in the word of God and not apologize for it. Listen, I know as this political season comes to a head, I get it. We need, here's, here's the thing though. We need to show up and we need to stand up and we need to vote for what is clear in the word of God. Because there are some very clear things that are in the word of God. And this might bother you a little bit but that, I'm, that I'm speaking to this for just a second. But I'm speaking the truth and love. And I realize that that makes me a target a little bit. And I'm okay with that. Because quite frankly, I care more about what God thinks than about what anyone else thinks. And there are some very clear things in the word of God that need to be addressed this year. And I care more about what the Bible thinks than about what the media thinks than about what anyone else on Facebook thinks. I care more about what the word of God says, and the word of God is very clear, and I love you all enough to say what needs to be said, and quite frankly, I'm called by God to say what needs to be said. But you know what? Sometimes when we stand up and we take a stand, things don't always appear to go well right away. Sometimes that can be difficult. Let me show you exactly what I mean as we continue through here. In verse 19, it says, then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. Dude's a savage. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. I mean, he is. So Paul heals a lame man, right? Preaches the good news shows them their sin, calls them to repent and be saved, and gets stoned for it. Gets stoned by the people for it. And these were probably some of the same Jews that were from Antioch that wanted to stone him there. And here's the funny thing. Stoning, it's a pretty reliable source, you know, way of execution. Um, 
But you know, God wasn't finished with him yet. We talked a few weeks ago about uh, when Stephen was stoned and how gory and, and gross that stoning really can be. And, and that, you know, granted, you would think if they left him for dead after throwing big rocks at him, they probably thought he was pretty dead. And so they dra- drag him outside of the city and God raised him up. Now, there, there are some different, uh, you know, um, theologians and stuff like that that suggest that maybe Paul actually was dead and that God raised him back to life. I don't see evidence of that in the scripture. Um, and, you know, it's appointed on a man once to die. Um, you know, we, we see that in the scripture. Regardless, it doesn't necessarily matter because God healed him and kept him alive in this moment. It, it definitely had to be a miraculous thing of God intervening, as we see here again, to this opposition because, um, you know, he was stoned by big, huge rocks being thrown at him. Really hard to live through. Really hard to live through there. But God still had work for Paul to do. God still had work for him to do, and as long as we are still on this earth, we need to know that God still has something for you to do, still has something for me to do. And to remember this statement that we hear often, and you see and hear in songs sometimes, that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. (laughs) And Paul was the epitome of that. I think he maybe helped coin this phrase just a little bit. But what I'm referring to here, because it's true, but I'm talking in your faith. In your faith, this is also very true. See, we would rather it be easy than to suffer. We would rather it be easy than to suffer, and and that is what ends up bringing apathy. When we would rather it be easy than to suffer. And And that goes for not only how we're treated and how people look at us and what people maybe say to us, even into what maybe physically happens to us. When we're always trying to avoid the friction, that is when we turn to apathy because we're not turning to the Lord. We're turning to our own problem solving instead of turning to the one who can solve every problem. You know, physical therapy always hurts, doesn't it? For those of you that maybe have had to go through physical therapy um, on anything, you know, it's not fun, it's painful, but it's necessary and it strengthens the muscles. And I feel like in a, in a lot of ways that the church had to go through some painful therapy here to, to be strengthened in their faith and to grow the church because that's exactly what happened. You know, we've all been through a time where we feel like we've left it all out on the field and, uh, you know, we've, we've done our best to do the right thing and to follow God and, uh, and, you know, we feel wiped out and we feel like finished and left for dead. We've been through those moments where we feel like that. Some of us may be in that moment right now. And then some amazing person or people just gather around you and love on you and, and show you the love of Jesus. And, and we see that happen in the story here if you back up a little bit. There are those that, that the Lord might lead you to that you might be in contact with right now that need you to just be there. Whether it's on the phone, whether it's in person, um, whatever that might look like, whether it's on Zoom, <laughs> but to just follow the Lord's leading. You don't always have to talk and you don't always have to say the right thing. Sometimes we feel like we have to say the right thing when we're there for somebody in those moments. And you don't. Sometimes just being there is enough. And let the Lord revive them. Watch the Lord bring the revival in that moment. 
That's what happened with Paul. He's laying there for dead and, and, and the people gather around him and strengthen him and encourage him and lift him up. And not, It doesn't say that they said a word. They were just there for him. And the Lord revived him and, and, and brought him up because God will do that. He will lift you up. He will strengthen you. He will in, encourage you so that you can fight another day. Because as long as you're still here, he's gonna bring you back to fight another day. So toward the end of Acts 14, we see Paul and Barnabas, they, they pass through the cities that, that they had been through before and, and they're strengthening and encouraging those that are there and, and, and they're visiting them again because they were really in the business of making disciples, not just converts, but disciples. And I'm so thankful to be part of a church that, that we're striving to do that as well. That's really a, a lot of the goal of life groups is, is to be a disciple-making ministry. And that's why life groups are such a big deal uh, in, in what we do here and, and what we're passionate about is making disciples, not just converts. But we see at the end of chapter 14 that, that they returned to their home church where they, had, where they had come from to report all that God had done on their journey. And what an interesting story time that must have been um, because they weren't able to call back or like send text, hey, just got stoned but didn't die. You know what I mean? So like they had to like, so they, they get before the church and like tell them all of this stuff. And can you imagine like the jaws hitting the floor as they're telling these, and this is just from their first journey. So look at what's said here. It says they preached the gospel in that city and they won a large number of disciples. And then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthened the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Understatement of the day. Um, see, they didn't just make new Christians. They, they established churches, structure, organization, and, and through prayer and fasting, they were guided by the Holy Spirit. And these young churches that these guys planted survived because it was the work of the Lord in and through them. And amazing things were done because of the opposition and the intervention of the Holy Spirit through, through all of this. They were empowered and, guide, and guided by the Holy Spirit. And they didn't focus on the opposition. They focused on the intervention brings us to a major lesson that we can learn from this, which really ends up being the connection point of all of this, because it's the reality that we need to embrace, because their version of normal that they were living in is very similar to the version of normal that we're living in in a lot of ways, because when we follow Jesus and we follow the call of the Holy Spirit, the connection point is normal, and that is this, to expect opposition, but count on intervention. Expect the opposition from the enemy. Don't think that he's going to take a day off or a moment off. If you're following what God is calling you to do, bank on the fact that there's going to be some opposition. But you better bank on even more the fact that the Holy Spirit is going to intervene in amazing and powerful ways. And he is gonna show up. But if all we do is focus on this one, we can miss this one. Because God will use the moments of opposition just as we've seen and as we're gonna to continue to see as we keep going through the book of Acts over the next couple of weeks. We're gonna to continue to see the intervention of the Holy Spirit. And I'd be willing to bet if you think through different times of opposition in your life, and it could have even been something yesterday. 
that the Holy Spirit has intervened and maybe you've missed it. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you're still in the midst of it. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're following what he is calling you to do, don't think for a second that the Holy Spirit is not involved there because he is. We need to to remember that suffering is the means by which we really experience God's kingdom. It says that in verse 22. There are virtually no biblical examples of, of faith where suffering has been escaped. There, there's quite a few, especially in the New Testament. Jesus himself suffered immensely at the hands of his enemies. We shouldn't be surprised when there's hostility in faith. But we shouldn't let those experiences of persecution, we shouldn't let those times of persecution where we feel like we're being beat down blind us to the other things that God is doing. I like to say it this way, if, we've, if we're driving an 18-wheeler and all we do is focus on the one squeaky wheel, we forget about the 17 that are working perfectly fine. But that's what we do. Let God worry about the squeaky wheel. Focus on the ones that are working perfectly fine because those are the ones that are dictated by the Holy Spirit. That's where God is taking us. The Holy Spirit is active and don't you forget it. These are not just stories from 2,000 years ago that don't matter to us. These are examples of faith that we can take and use. The powers of darkness are still at work. Make no mistake about that either. But the light makes the darkness hide. Will you bow your heads with me? We need to be ready for whatever opportunities God has for us, regardless of what that means. I love how my friend Mike Nolan always says, I want to be into whatever the Lord is up to. And if that means suffering for the sake of the gospel, then so be it. Because we know who wins in the end. And you may be feeling like you're going through a time of suffering right now, and you very well may be. But are we too apathetic and not seeing the Holy Spirit moving? Are we too apathetic to to maybe reach out to that person close to us and be Jesus to that person, or even to just gather around them and pray? Maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus, and today... You're not totally sure if you were to die that that you would go to heaven. I'd love for you to know before you walk out of these doors today or before you turn off uh, the live stream that you know that for sure. I'd love to talk with you and pray with you afterwards and show you how you can know for sure that you have a relationship with Jesus because he loves you so much. He came and died for you. And he signed the check for you with his own blood. The check that that you couldn't write and you can't cash because of the sin in our life. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing you can do to make him love you less. He loves you no matter what. And his Holy Spirit is moving and is active. Father, I thank you so much for your love and your grace. 
God, I thank you for your Holy Spirit that we know is here with us now. God, I pray that you would move in the hearts of those that are here and that may be watching at home. Lord, that if there is one that doesn't know you as Savior, God, that today they would make that decision. Today they would pray and ask you to come into their, to their life and to save them, Lord, that they would repent of their sin and they would turn to you. God, we don't like the friction that that causes in our life because it makes us uncomfortable. But God, you work through those moments. You work through that time. Holy Spirit, we ask for you to continue to move and to work even now. Lord, for those of us that are followers of you but maybe are feeling pressed because we've, we've allowed ourselves to get to a place of apathy, to tolerate more than we should. Father, I pray that you would convict us and move us closer to you. Help us to be honest with ourselves and with you. Pray that you would take this message and that you would continue to use it to challenge us throughout this week. Thank you for your son Jesus dying for us to save us from ourselves. Lord, we love you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, 